This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Good morning, Anchor. Good to be with you. My name is Brad Koneman. I'm one of the pastors here at Anchor and part of Forest Lodge Gospel Community. It was amazing to hear from Teresa, wasn't it? What an amazing story of transformation from her dad beating his daughter to now being the compassion director for the Cebu project that, that we support. It's amazing how God can work in someone's life and to also hear about the impact that we're having as a, as a community as we invest in this community in the Philippines. Well, I'm so glad that you've chosen to join us this morning, especially if you're new or visiting. I want to let you know that the church is not an event to attend. The church is a community to belong to, and so we hope you feel loved and welcome this morning. We'd love you to not just attend this morning, but to stick around, to become part of our community as we learn to be more like Jesus together. As we continue in our series on discipleship, following Jesus, follow me this morning, we're going to be asking the question, what kind of people is Jesus calling into his church? Who are the people that Jesus will use to continue his mission of making disciples? Now, from kids in the schoolyard to athletes on the sports field to an interview panel in a boardroom, we're conditioned by our culture to choose the best and the brightest. What kind of people is Jesus looking for? Is he looking for all-stars? Is he looking for Hall of Famers? As Jesus appears on the scene in first century Palestine, what kind of people does he call to be part of his team as he continues his mission to make disciples to the ends of the earth? Well, he doesn't go to the synagogues looking for the smartest people or the most religious people. He doesn't go to the palaces looking for the rich and powerful. He doesn't go to the great cities of the ancient world looking for the most influential culture makers. No, he goes to the backwater of Galilee and he picks a motley crew of fishermen, tradies, battlers, outcasts, underdogs, people who had dirty hands and messy lives. See, Jesus picks ordinary people like me, ordinary people like you, to be part of his church. People that struggle through life, people that are stumbling in sin, darkened by doubt. See, the church is not about all stars. It's not about rock star preachers or amazing worship leaders. The church is about empowering ordinary people to join Jesus in his mission of making disciples. This morning, I want you to walk out of here knowing that God wants to use you. Now, you might feel like, man, I'm not good enough for God. I don't measure up. God could never want to use someone like me. So this morning, I want to give you four foundations of an ordinary, everyday disciple maker that I hope will help you to feel empowered and confident, leaving here knowing God wants to use me this week. So the four foundations that we're going to be looking at are these. First, Jesus is the master disciple maker. Second, you are sent to partner with Jesus in his mission. Third, you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And fourth, as you share Jesus, God 
gives the growth. You ready? Yeah, one person's ready. Is anyone else ready? Let's do this together. I'm going to pray for us and we'll dig into this. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would make us ready this morning, that you would make us eager and hungry, that you would open our hearts to your word. We ask that you would empower us by your spirit so that we might play our part in your mission. In Jesus' name, amen. So four foundations of an ordinary, everyday disciple maker. Number one, Jesus is the master disciple maker. Before we consider our part in his mission, we've got to first start with the foundation of his mission. And this is what we looked at in John chapter 20, verse 21, that Arnaldo read out to us. If you've got your Bibles open or it'll be on the screen. Jesus begins, as the Father sent me. See, Jesus has a mission. He is the one that the Father sent into the world. It's his mission, not ours. Now, some people think the Bible is all about us. It's a book full of rules, things that we've got to do, not do. Some people think the Bible is a book full of heroes that we've got to emulate or follow. But no, the the Bible is ultimately a story about God and what he's done to rescue humanity from the mess that we've got ourselves into. And the world is in a mess, isn't it? And we're pretty good at identifying the problems out there and pointing the finger at them, whoever they are, whether it's the politicians or the pedophiles or some might say the rich are the problem and another group of people might say the refugees are the problem. But Jesus' diagnosis is that the mess isn't just out there. There's a mess inside of us as well. There's something wrong inside of me. Alexander Solzhenitsyn understood this when he wrote this. The line dividing good and evil cuts through every human heart. Cuts through my heart. Cuts through your heart. If we're honest with ourselves, we know that there's darkness within. We don't live up to our own expectations, let alone God's perfect, holy standard. The mess in here contributes to the mess out there. We're not just victims, but perpetrators. The good news is that God doesn't abandon the world that he's made to descend into a spiral of chaos and destruction. No, God has a mission. The Father sends the Son. Jesus steps into our mess. He gets his hands dirty. He gets his hands nailed to a wooden cross. And by dying and rising again, he overcomes sin and death. He offers us freedom from sin and new life. See, God isn't calling all stars. He's not calling people who have their lives together. He's calling messy people, a motley crew, into the church. He's calling sinners like me, sinners like you, to be his disciples. See, Christianity isn't based on some kind of survival of the fittest ethic like our culture. It's based on grace. There's nothing that we've done to deserve it or to earn God's love. No, he reaches down into our mess and rescues us. And this dynamic of grace is actually why Christianity has always been the pioneer of 
Things like compassion is doing, rescuing children from poverty in Jesus' name. Christianity has always been at the forefront of healthcare and education and social reform because just like God reached down into our mess to save us, we as the church now reach down into our messy world to show them God's love. So this is the foundation for being an ordinary, everyday disciple maker. Before we can partner with God in his mission, we first need to receive God's gift. So is your life open to God? Have you received his gift? He wants to do something in your life. He wants to bring beauty out of the ashes. And then what he's done in you, he now wants to do through you. That's what Jeff Vanderstelt says, a pastor. He's he's written this, what God has done in you, he now wants to do through you. See, effective mission, effective disciple-making is like a cup that overflows. God pours his grace into our hearts, into our lives, and then it overflows in our love for others. And we saw this amazingly in Teresa's father's story, didn't we? How God transformed his life and he's now using his life to, to rescue children out of poverty. But I've also seen this in my friend Kyle Jenkins' life. Kyle is part of Forest Lodge Gospel Community. Kyle is an alcoholic. He and his wife Danielle shared their story up on stage a few months ago. Kyle was deep down in his spiral of addiction and it was destroying his career, destroying his family, destroying his life. But God put him out of his addiction. Uh, Jesus transformed his life through the church and Kyle has been dry for over a year. Praise God. How good is that? And Kyle cannot shut up about Jesus. God has transformed his life. And if you ever talk to Kyle, he will just tell you, I'm 375 days dry. Jesus has changed my life. This is amazing. The work that God has done in him, he's now doing through him. So this is the foundation. We don't even need to move past this. This is the foundation of being an ordinary, everyday disciple maker, that Jesus is the master. Disciple-making is his mission. We've got to start with the work that he is doing. The second foundation is this. You are sent to partner with Jesus in his mission. And we see this on the back end of John chapter 20, verse 21. Jesus begins, as the Father sent me, what does he say next? So I am sending you. Jesus has sent his church into the world for his mission. What is it? What has he sent us to do? Well, in, when he calls his first disciples in Mark chapter 1, by the lake, they're fishing, they've got their nets out, Jesus appears and calls them. Does anyone remember what he calls them to do? He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And that's been the structure for this series on discipleship. We've just finished three weeks looking at what it looks like to follow Jesus, that Jesus calls us to learn, to love and live like him. And now we're beginning three weeks on how we fish, how we make disciples. At the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus commissions his disciples to go to the ends of the earth to make disciples. This call to the first disciples echoes echoes out through the gospel narrative to the church, to all of us. To be a disciple of Jesus is to be a disciple maker. See, disciple making isn't something done by professionals on stage. 
We don't just kind of sit out there in the stands watching others play the game. If you're a Christian, you're in the game. You're on the court. The ball is in your hands. You have a crucial part to play. There are no spectators in the church. It's not like the priests are up on stage doing some magic sprinkly work with their fingers and everyone just kind of sits back and watch. The anchor staff aren't here to do the work of disciple making. You are the disciple makers. Our role here is to equip you for your mission of making disciples. You see, God wants us to shift from a consumer mentality of the church to a missional mentality where we all have a part to play. Charles Spurgeon, the 19th century preacher, said this, Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. You are a sent one. You are a missionary. You are a disciple maker. That is your new identity and purpose in Christ, to join him in his mission of making disciples to the ends of the earth. And this new purpose directs every part of your life, every minute of every day, every relationship, every opportunity. Jesus wants to use you for his mission. So as you go to work tomorrow, your new purpose is to share Jesus, to display and declare what God has done for you and in you. Like Kyle cannot shut up about Jesus, what he's done in his life, rescuing him out of his addiction. As we go to gospel community, we're not just trying to create kind of a nice community vibe and hang out together. No, we are a disciple-making community. And this isn't just your GC leader. You are the disciple-maker as you go to gospel community. You turn up, you love you share God's word, you pray, you spur one another on. We are discipling one another. Every disciple of Jesus is a disciple maker. So who are you discipling? Who has God put in your life that you're influencing? One framework that I've found helpful to discern who it is that, that I'm discipling in my life is based on the relationships of the Apostle Paul, and it's on screen. Pursue Paul, be a Barnabas, train a Timothy. So first, we, we look at to those ahead of us. Who are the Pauls in our life? Those that we're, we want to imitate and be like and learn from. Pursue that person. Ask them to coach you, to mentor you, to disciple you, to invest in you. Look beside you. Who are your peers? Who are the people that you're doing life with, that you're on the, on the same level, same journey with? Get alongside one another. Encourage one another in the faith. Spur each other on. Pray for one another. And then who's coming up be, behind you? Who are the people that God is calling you to invest in, to train? Pursue a Paul. Be a Barnabas. Train a Timothy. What this requires is for each of us to take the initiative in forming these intentional disciple-making relationships. We can't just kind of sit back. We're not spectators, consumers. No, we're all in the game. We've all got to take the initiative to create this strong culture of discipleship, not just in gospel communities, not just in triplets, but as we're sharing our lives together on the road, as we're sharing our everyday life together to be making disciples. You are sent to partner with Jesus in his mission. God wants to use you. 
Number three, you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. We see this in John chapter 20, verse 22. Jesus breathes on those disciples in the upper room and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian, God has given you his spirit. The same spirit that empowered Jesus in his life and ministry, that enabled him to resist temptation in the wilderness, that enabled him to offer his life to the Father in obedience, even to the point of death. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives inside of you. Isn't this incredible? In the Old Testament, only a special few people received the Holy Spirit and only for a short amount of time. But now, God's Spirit is given to everyone who trusts in Jesus. It's not just the all-stars who get the Spirit. It's not just the prophets, the priests, the kings. No, all people, young and old, men and women, CEOs and cleaners, have the Holy Spirit if you trust in Jesus. You see, you don't need a degree or a qualification to be a disciple-maker. All you need is the Spirit of God. Think about the difference that the Holy Spirit made in the lives of those first disciples. In John chapter 20, just after Jesus has been killed, the disciples have locked the door, right? They're hiding away in the upper room, terrified that what happened to Jesus is going to happen to them. And then Jesus, they find Jesus has risen from the dead and he gives them his Holy Spirit and they go out in the book of Acts proclaiming that this Jesus who was crucified is, has been risen again, that he is the Lord, he is the Saviour and they give their life for this mission. The Holy Spirit empowered them for their ministry. See, the, the, the empowering presence and power of the Holy Spirit makes all the difference in our lives. The Holy Spirit is changing you to be more like Jesus. This week, you can say no to sin. You can live a godly life by his power. The Holy Spirit has equipped you with spiritual gifts to build the church. You all have something to offer. The Holy Spirit is empowering you with boldness and courage to share Jesus with your friends in word and deed. If you are in Christ... You are a spirit-empowered disciple-maker sent by God to live your everyday life for his mission. God wants to use you. Fourth foundation that we're looking at, fourth and final one is this. As you share Jesus, God gives the growth. See, God doesn't bypass human agency to be at work. It's not, not like God kind of magically works out there independently of us somehow. Now, the way that God has chosen to work is through us. Not outside of us, but through us. And we see this dynamic in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul talks about his ministry like this. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gives the growth. See, both Apollos and Paul are working, planting and watering the seed of the gospel in people's lives, but it's God who is growing the seed. Now, are there any gardeners out there? Does anyone have a house big enough to have a garden? Think about how a plant grows. If, you, if you're kind of trying to grow a plant in your basement, you plant, you know, busy working, you're kind of toiling the, tilling the soil, planting the seeds, watering it. Is a plant going to grow in the basement, what does a plant need to grow? 
needs the sun, right? And it's the same dynamic for making disciples. We work at planting and watering the seed of the gospel, but a plant only grows as God shines his light into people's lives. See, if we neglect this reality, then we're going to get disciple-making all wrong. We'll be toiling and striving to make people change when it's totally beyond us. It would be like trying to turn the lights on in a house when none of the wiring has been done. See, before we can do anything, we need the master electrician to come and do the wiring in someone's life. We need an inner work of the Spirit of God to bring people to faith. See, none of us can raise the dead. None of us can make the blind see. Only God can do this. We're totally dependent on him to transform people's lives. And so we pray. That's the right response, isn't it? If God is the one who gives the growth, then we're totally dependent on him in prayer. Cole Marshall has written this about this this principle. Our level of trust in this principle will be demonstrated by our constant dependent prayer for God to give the growth. Prayerlessness, like wordlessness, is a classic symptom of a sick disciple-making culture. We're totally dependent on God to grow his church, to bear fruit, and so we pray. But this is no excuse for doing nothing. We sometimes use God's sovereignty as a cover for our own laziness. Spurgeon was once asked, how do you reconcile God's sovereignty with human responsibility? kind of classic theological conundrum. How do you reconcile God's sovereignty with human responsibility? And Spurgeon replied, I wouldn't try. I never reconcile friends. See, we need to hold God's sovereign control together with our responsibility that he's entrusted to us, like Paul does. Paul plants, Apollos waters, God gives the growth. Arnaldo, who was up here before, I was talking to him this week about it, and he said this, which I found really helpful. He said, God's sovereignty doesn't diminish our responsibility. It makes it possible. You see, what we do matters. God will not work without us. He has chosen the motley crew of the church to be his mission strategy, and he doesn't have a plan B. God will use ordinary sinners like you and me to to grow his church. And our strategy isn't like, look at our all-star team, look at how amazing we are. No, there is only one all-star in the church, and it's not me, it's not you, it's Jesus. Our strategy is look at him, look at what he has done, look at how amazing he is. As we open our mouths and speak about Jesus, God will give the growth. Four foundations of an ordinary, everyday disciple-maker. First, Jesus is the master disciple maker. You have been sent and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And as you share Jesus, God will give the growth. Does this excite you? God has invited you to partner with him in his mission of making disciples. Can you believe we get to do this? What a privilege, right? Jesus has picked his team and you're on it. You might feel unworthy or unqualified, like God would never want to use you. But if you're a disciple of Jesus, you are part of the motley crew of the church. 
Jesus has entrusted his mission of making disciples to ordinary people like us. Who does God want to use to reach our world with the good news of Jesus? He wants to use you. You're on the court. The ball is in your hands. What are you going to do? I believe more than ever we need a prophetic readiness in the church. And by that I mean the same kind of readiness that we see in the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6, God is looking for someone who will go to be his missionary, to be his messenger. He says, who will go? Who will I send? And Isaiah knows that he's sinful. He doesn't have anything to offer, offer God. And yet he sticks up his hand. Here I am. Send me. We need to be people that are willing to do whatever it takes to play our part in Jesus' mission. People that are ready to go. Wherever God calls, we will follow. Whatever, whatever doors he opens, we'll walk through. Whatever opportunities he brings our way, we will take. We need to have a spirit of surrender that is committed to saying yes to Jesus every day. So what will it look like for you to, ha to cultivate this kind of prophetic readiness this week? To take up the opportunities that God will bring your way, even this afternoon, even tomorrow. I think this is why the practices of discipleship are so important that we've been working on together as a church family throughout this series. Prayer, Bible reading, those practices of meeting with God, tuning our hearts, aligning our lives with him, spending time with him, praying for opportunities, praying for him to give us that, that readiness. But we also need to go out into our week with our eyes open looking for opportunities, expectant that God is going to bring opportunities our way. As you go to work tomorrow, someone's going to ask you, what did you do on the weekend? That is a wide open door for you to testify about Jesus and the community of faith that you belong to. Will you be ready to take up that opportunity? But more than just having our eyes open, I think God might be calling some of you to take a step of faith this week, to actually take the initiative and to pursue someone. Who is it that God's putting on your heart now that he might be calling you to bless, to love in a practical way? Who is it that God's putting on your heart now that he might be calling you to start a conversation with, to ask a question? Who is God putting on your heart to, to bring along to church next week or to ask someone to read the Bible with? If you are a Christian, Jesus has sent you into the world to make disciples. You are empowered by the Holy Spirit. As you surrender yourself to God's will and depend on His power, He will use you. He will grow the seeds that you plant to bear fruit. These foundations should fill us with confidence, should fill us with expectancy and boldness that we can do this. Do you believe that? We can do this, not because of our strength, but because of his strength in us. So as you stand on the missional starting blocks tomorrow morning, ready to go into the mission field and make disciples, is that your posture in the morning? Do you start the day on the, on the missional starting blocks, ready to go into the mission field and make disciples? Do you have that prophetic readiness? What will it look like for you to have that same prophetic readiness that we see in the prophet Isaiah? That same spirit of surrender saying, here I am, Lord, use me.
Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would create in us that kind of spirit of surrender, that prophetic readiness, that we will be ready to go, ready to be used by you tomorrow. Father, give us the courage that we need to take up the opportunities that you will bring our way. Father, we ask that you will use us to advance your kingdom in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.